0: I thought, OMG, this explains so much. But you're sort of in that shock mode. So I don't remember hearing anything else she said during that session. And I remember him going, I don't know, maybe the car ride home that night was obviously awkward. And in my head, it all makes sense.
1: This is season three of the Your Neurodiverse Relationship podcast, which is for adults in all kinds of neurodiverse relationships, not just romantic partnerships. I'm your host, Jody Carlton, and I've spent close to two decades growing in my understanding of how our different brains influence the way we understand and relate to each other. Through the years, I've helped several thousand people understand themselves and their loved ones. This podcast is a place where I come together with others to talk about their journeys. I've got a great lineup of guests talking about things like masking, traits of neurodivergent folks, traits of neurotypical folks, what kind of things cause difficulties in our neurodiverse relationships, but also some of the wonderful things about our neurodiverse relationships. Also, this season is a video cast where you can enjoy watching on YouTube or you can listen to us on the podcast like you have before. If you're really enjoying this podcast and if you've gotten something out of it, please leave us a review because reviews really matter and we want to get this out there to as many people as possible so they can benefit from it just like you. If you're watching on YouTube, be sure to subscribe so you'll get notifications of upcoming podcasts and other videos that I post there as well. Welcome. What will we talk about today? Today, I have a colleague, Laura Schreiner, who is a couples therapist and she works with neurodiverse Couples and has her own experiences with neurodiverse family and relationships. So I was really excited when she reached out to want to have a chat. Laura, tell us a little bit about yourself, your work, and your family, and we'll talk shop.
0: Sure. I have been doing therapy for over 15 years in general. I didn't really know about the neurodiverse lens until I realized it was personal for me. In 2017, it actually started with my father's passing, and it was the accumulation of being married to my husband and knowing that there were some odd eccentric quirks about him. But when my father had passed, I finally said, this is it. We're not communicating all the way. And I really need you right now. I'm grieving here. It's a big deal. The kids were young. I have a son who was at that time in second grade and my daughter was in preschool so they were young i was doing the majority of the load of caregiving and parenting and i insisted we go to couples therapy and probably the first or second session is when the therapist just turned to him and bluntly said are you on the spectrum or something i stopped at that moment i think i was emoting crying something about my father and being upset and things. She said, cause you're smiling and your wife is crying right now. I'm not sure I loved her tone. It was just the aha moment. And I paused, I think I saw white light and I'm not even (laughs) exaggerating. I'm a person that doesn't run out of words or ideas. Usually there's always connections going on. So it was almost a shock to your system. And I thought, OMG. This explains so much, but you're sort of in that shock mode. So I don't remember hearing anything else she said during that session. And I remember him going, I don't know, maybe the car ride home that night was obviously awkward. And in my head, it all makes sense. You're having your entire life flash before you. I think we were together 15 years at that point and big moments in your life, having the kids, illnesses, times where you needed, emotional reciprocity like nobody's business and it wasn't there. It was all a big flashback. And I was grieving too add that mm-hmm. to the brain fog. And I eventually got him within a few weeks to take like an online quiz and that kind of thing. A the therapist was wise enough to say this isn't my expertise if this is the case. But she had a friend whose husband was on the spectrum and in hindsight, she had said, well, I just don't think you guys are going to work out. And I was like, don't tell me whether I'm going to work things out with my spouse or not. So in a way, it was like, oh, really? And I thought to myself, well, in hindsight, we're going to be the couple that makes it. Game on. Here we go. What do I do first? So of course, I started looking for resources and use online and stuff, cobwebs and tumbleweed. Yeah. There's not much out there. Then I start finding the blogs of the negative vomiting of horrible bashing. And I get it sometimes that the only platform somebody has, but it wasn't very hopeful and it wasn't very encouraging that this was going to be something that you can get your head around, first of all. And second, what do you do about it if that's the case? So now what? So he's on the spectrum. Now what? What does that mean even? And It also was making a hundred other connections because it was equating some other immediate family to, there are some similarities going on here. That snowballs. That led me down the research path. So, of course, I start reading every book and going through every workbook. I found tons of stuff from the UK. Thank you. You Mm -hmm. can't so much here. Every workbook, every book. He did read a book. He said, I'll read this one. I said, deal. Then I thought, well, I'm going to have to do this myself. And as a therapist, I'm like, well, shoot. <laughs> so that's what started my journey into neurodiversity. I found the AANE, the Asperger mm-hmm. Autism mm-hmm. Network on the East Coast. Grace, my help. Grace's program. Yeah. I said, I think I'm going to sign up for this. It was sort of on the back burner anyway, because I had family members And I was like, yeah, I should probably put this under my tool belt, but it was one of these file for later and I get to it and became really real, really quick. I think we had therapy for about two months and then called it quits for other various reasons. He was willing to show up. And I was thinking, what are you getting out of this? Or is it just me that needs to really come and have testimony for 15 years worth of stuff that came up? Meanwhile, juggle the kids, juggle. Where am I with my father? I was really close to my dad. He is undiagnosed, and I absolutely think he was on the spectrum. He was an engineer. He had his own quirks, just little things. The music he listened to was unconventional. He wasn't a super social guy, but he could be very charming and sweet, almost like uh, putting on a mask Mm -hmm. when he had to. His tempers were here and there. I always knew he loved us, but he wasn't a big talker. He wasn't Mm -hmm. super emotional. But he was there for us. He did show up and I do have so many fond memories. In any case, I'm rambling now, but we had an understanding, my dad and I, and I had a way of communicating. And ironically, now that I look back, I wrote him a lot of notes back in the day. We communicated with little notes. I was doing the work before I knew I was doing the work. You know, I have two older siblings and I was the youngest and Even with my own mom, he'd listen to her, but he'd really listen to me. If there's something that came to push or shove or something that was a big thing, it was like everyone looked at me like, deal with dad. Dad." And so (laughs) I did. Even when it came toward the end, I was the dutiful daughter that got him into hospice. That was also my background, too, was geriatrics. And so it just made logical sense. With that, though, I feel like I've always had an understanding for neurodiversity, again, without knowing it. There was a kid in first grade playing on the playground, and this kid was in the corner all the time doing his beep-bop-boop robot thing. And I'd always try to engage with him, and he wouldn't have any of me. He's like, no, thank you, very politely. And I was like, what's going on here? I remember all the kids didn't care. They were all playing. Everybody else was doing stuff. I had my best friend that I played with, but I was just constantly watching and curious. He's so smart. He's so quiet. I digress. So all of that with my dad, sort of being attracted to neurodiverse. boyfriends. Sense.
1: So boyfriends too? You see the pattern?
0: Not all of them, of course, but a mm-hmm. couple that it was like the marriage material. I wanted that groundedness. I mm-hmm. used the word okay. groundedness. Obviously intelligent. I had to have someone I could be at the same level yeah. speaking to. That was really big. Somebody whose lifestyle just met my same values. Same sort of loyalty, mm-hmm. love of family and education and things like that. There was definitely a pattern there.
1: We're both therapists. It's this cliche that we grow up to marry our fathers, but it's really not a cliche. We learn that first relationship with a man is with our dads. And that's the foundation. That's the baseline relationship that we have. It's how we learn who we are and how we relate to others. And it's interesting, the patterns that I see where you're describing your dad as that engineer and you just describe that relationship with him. And now you recognize that you're in a marriage with someone who's neurodiverse. I see that pattern. I also see another pattern that you didn't describe just now, but I see another pattern where people come out of childhood relationships where there's emotional neglect of some sort or there's some kind of personality disorder in parents or abuse and grounding is still that word They they look for someone who's grounded i think it's interesting that we see our neurodiverse partners as grounded even though there can be an emotional meltdown when they hit a break point but overall there's a much narrower range of emotion for the men anyway the women yes. that's a totally different story yes But the males, the guys, that seems grounded.
0: It's stable and it's emotionally one step back. Mm -hmm. They can remain calm and collected. I don't necessarily think I heard everything's going to be okay, which I would have liked to hear. He'd sit quietly, just being in presence with you. Mm -hmm. I read that as strength and stability and protection.
1: You do misread that as I'm emotionally regulated. I think that's where we misconstrue it. And I say we because I know for me that's what it was. And I, being all my clients, we misinterpret that as emotionally regulated when really you were just mentioning you were looking forward to hearing my podcast with my best friend Kathy, which by the time this podcast airs, it's already out. She talks about how she can't process her emotions. She knows she has them. She's very emotional, but she can't process them very well. So there's emotion there sometimes, but it's not regulated. Sometimes it's not coming out. It's not visible. It's inside and it's happening, but it's not regulated. So what we're seeing is that affect is sometimes flatter, but what's behind the affect is this cloud of emotion that's not processing. in our neurodiverse partners or best friends or children They've got all this emotion in there and they don't even know how to label it or identify it, what to do with it.
0: I agree with you. (laughs) Fast forward five years into us being aware and I would say accepting. My husband accepts that he's undiagnosed officially, but has enough traits. And the semantics we use in the house is we're just a neurodiverse family that has been accepted. And it's been the biggest blessing. Mm -hmm. Okay. In terms of change, Mm -hmm. it is the low glacial change. But it has changed nonetheless. And that was being accepted. I know he went through stages of relief. I know he was upset at some point. What is this label? And what does this really mean? I think he internalized it to being his fault or the whole binding thing. When you were just talking about regulating underneath it all or being dysregulated underneath it all, I now know after five years, I don't claim to be predictably correct every time, but I can now a little bit of processing time has to happen or he's dysregulated he's got mm-hmm. that pullback going on and I need to stop usually it's just too much in your face too many words too many ideas much of me spouting mm-hmm. to just say let him catch up with himself he's getting better at articulating that which again has been our own languaging throughout the five years a lot of Short talks with each other. And sometimes mm-hmm. when I say short, I'm talking about less than like 20 minutes in the car, or some nights we have together, we get into talky talk. I call it, you know, it could be an hour or a little more, but he's fried after that. I could tell he's yeah. done. <laughs> We're both like, ha, let's go to bed now. Those
1: time limits are so important in my communication program. That's one of the things that I stress so much is time limits because yeah. those of us who are neurotypical, some of us tend to be hyperverbal. We can just talk and talk and talk. I am this, and I know a lot of my clients have been verbal processors. We process by talking. And so we can just go on and on and on and on. It's how we process. It can just for hours. And it's the way we literally process it. And Like you said, they get fried. My daughter is one of the ones that can go on and on and on and on when she's the one processing. (laughs) I'm starting to glaze over, but it's only when she's processing. If we're having a two-way dialogue and I'm part of that, she really hits her limit. As a matter of fact, she's 19 and autistic. We had a conversation a couple weeks ago and it was a difficult decision that we were making together and a disappointing situation for her. And so I was talking about it to her and just going through the bullet point list of this decision that we were making. And I saw her start to shut down and she was getting overwhelmed and started to tear up. And then she just started literally going, stop, stop, I can't hear you. So I did and I'm like, okay, we'll table this. And then a couple of days later, she told me, That in that moment, she literally had a visual of vines wrapping around her face and her neck. My words were coming at her, and they were like vines choking her. And I was like, wow, that is so powerful. That's what it felt like to her. It gives me goosebumps to think about it now. And I was like, oh, I really wanted to just remember that so that, that when I see her or just need to respect, I teach the pause button. Tell people, Mm -hmm. press pause when you feel that happening. We really have to be respectful of that.
0: 10 seconds at least. And that can feel like an eternity. And that's not a long time. My son does the same. His eyes will tear up. And it's the deer in the headlights sort of look. And Mm -hmm. it's the eyes tearing up. Actually, it happened this morning. I had accused him of doing something he didn't do, and I retracted it right away when I realized I was wrong. He said, I am so sorry that wasn't on you, but already the visceral Mm -hmm. reaction. And I thought, wow, Mm -hmm. you know, you notice more when you know more, really tune in. With that, not every little thing is neurodiverse in that category. I find a lot of my clients blame everything on autism, blame everything on ADHD, blame everything on whatever buzzword they've got for the week. And it's like, hold on, there's personality here.
1: We're human beings too, you know.
0: Well, universe or not, you do that
1: too. It's just one layer. It's one layer, one aspect of who we are. And we're human beings, too. One thing that's influencing how we show up in a conversation or an interaction, sometimes it's the neurodiversity, but sometimes it's just our personality. Or sometimes it's how we're feeling that day. It's how much
0: sleep we got last night. Well, many yeah. couples come to me for the first time. It typically is the spouse that's not on the spectrum and they're begging for some help. I can't unsee. And I feel like, oh, man. What did I do in the last 15 years when I saw anxiety? There's so high anxiety that they can't even talk. And I equally see depressive symptoms. At the same time, it could look like bipolar. It could look like there's a lot of ADHD diagnosis for spouses. Mm -hmm. And it's this hyper kind of, you hear me finally. And it's this giant dump after that. You're just like, okay. So when they come like that, usually I have to see if their spouse is in the same orbit as them. Before I even know what I'm working with, that's the simultaneous working from, I think, your backpack analogy. uh, We're going to see what's happening in the couple, but there's so much work to do with each individual. Same time,
1: Absolutely. You know, I'm glad you said that because you're right. It's that neurotypical partner who's made the discovery. You guys had a therapist bring it up to you both. That's fairly unusual. In the couples that come to me, usually it's a neurotypical partner who's figured it out in some way. And they've done the research already. You don't know how much the other spouse is aware. Right. So I've seen a lot of neurotypical partners really wanting who they believe to be neurodiverse partner to be brought up to speed. They're bringing them in. They're wanting me to educate the partner, fix them and teach them what they need to know. And what they find is when they start working with me, the neurotypical partner has a lot of work to do, too. And I've had so many of them go, I wasn't expecting this. I wasn't expecting me to have to do the work. And a lot of them are like, why should I have to do the work? I'm like, well, there's two of you here in this relationship. There's two of you. There's a reason why you picked your spouse. There's a reason why I picked my spouse. All of that is part of what's in our backpack. And I've had to do my own work and figure out what contributed to me being in that relationship and contributing to some of the dynamics that were there, the communication and all of it. It's an we overwhelm. Didn't. There's a lot for both partners.
0: I feel like it goes in stages with the MT or the spouse that's not on the spectrum. They're excited about all the information. They're eating it up. I did it too, you know, eating yeah. all this information. I'm going to have this. I'm going to solve this million dollar equation. There's so many parts and pieces to this. And one more thing that you're asking them to do, you've got to work on yourself and heal a little bit of this past too, because honey, you're angry. <laughs> There's some resentment going on. And that's the other angle that you get. I remember 10 years prior being in a women's group, we would meet monthly. I'd go and I'd tell these ladies, I'm feeling pretty good. You know, usually I'm a pretty positive person, but I've got this undercurrent of anger and I don't know why. And I don't know, it's sort of with my spouse, but I don't really know why I love them. And it was like an oscillation of sad, validate me, forever. And to hear that it's not something I'm doing wrong, that I'm enough, that all these validations that that I would sign up for when we got married. And now, again, in hindsight, clients come and there is all this. I have a lot of work. Yeah, you got a lot of relational trauma to do a thousand cuts Mm -hmm. thing going on. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, your spouse is still showing up. And I make a big point of that. In couple sessions, he's showing up and he's present because it's not enough to just show up. It's showing up and being present. And again, that 60 minutes is a long time. So I frequently check in with the person on the spectrum. How are we doing right now? Are you Mm -hmm. feeling overwhelmed? Retention, because I always get afterwards. It's great during therapy. And then after we're done seeing you, he falls back to his old ways or he it doesn't yeah. stick. The retention. We have to work on buy-in and the motivation and logic.
1: That's what I call motivation and willingness. You're calling it buy-in. I've got the three pillars that I say for a relationship to work is ability, capacity. Uh-huh. I've coached people into recognizing that there's just not the capacity there because sometimes it's not.
0: It's really hard for spouses to accept. yes. Because they say, how can they do it with other people and they can't do it with me? Yes.
1: And sometimes it's not that they're doing it with other people. They're masking temporarily. There's a difference between having a temporary work relationship or friendship where you're with somebody for a short period of time and doing life with somebody.
0: They misunderstand and misinterpret that their spouse all along has been capable
1: of doing that, Yeah, I'm actually working with a couple right now. I've actually seen this several times with military couples who then go into retirement. The military staff and personnel, they're taught to do things like participate in social events where the family and the wives are involved or they're told they go through the military what and when and how. Make sure your wills are set up and taken care of. That sounds morbid. It's structure thing that they do because they're moved around a lot. Too. They make sure that the families are set up with social networks and other parents and schools. And so then when those folks retire and they leave the military setting, there's no structure. A lot of times they go into trying to get into the civilian workforce and they may get a job, but then the home life that they had been managing those skills don't generalize then to afterwards. And that's when, wait a minute, where's the person that I've been married to all these years? What happened to that? So I see that happening. So without that structure or without that setting, it's really different. People struggle to see that capacity isn't there. And when people come to me, sometimes I tell people, I'm not here to not save your marriage, but this is for you to get clarity about where to go from here sometimes that capacity for a relationship is not there and if you keep trying to make something work that's not going to work it's still not going to work no matter how much you try now that's not to say neurodiverse relationships can't make it now you were saying that the therapist said to you you're not going to work yes but some can't motivation and willingness there willingness is one thing but buy-in and actual action, that's got to be there too.
0: And that's behavior driven. I wanted to back up to my WAM group. What about me? Focuses on taking inventory. Once they've learned everything they think they need to know, they're looking at their spouse differently. Mm-hmm. With the change, it's the whole, should I stay or should I go? And the answer is you mm-hmm. are the deciding person on this. And obviously your spouse at some level. Although usually the spouse is not super up and willing to leave because it's scary and it's hard, just too much executive functioning things. So that spouse who's been through all of that change takes the inventory He's is like, I'm not doing this. It's been 30 years. It's been 40 years. But even grounded into that, we have the abuse trauma piece Mm -hmm. I wanted to bring up. How much of that is brought to therapeutic table week after week where a couple can barely be in the same room as each other Mm -hmm. because of high reactivity Mm -hmm. and because of fight or flight and all this physiology that's going on. So there's a lot of education, a lot of education continually done with reminding the spouse and T of what their capacity is. But also we need to notice what's physiologically going on, not only with your spouse that he's in freeze right now, he's in a freeze mode or something but their reactivity and how they can go into their own fight flight and like this big can of worms that you have Mm -hmm. to gently Mm -hmm. open up for each party individually and as a couple and tease that apart so you can teach them because again it's like fine during our session and sometimes they can argue during session which I sometimes like to see how it's progressing I don't even say arguing it's more like how's the communication going? But when they try it on their own, it reverts to the old pattern really quickly. Or sometimes to get somebody out of freeze or to get somebody, there's a lot of polyvagal things you can do. There's a lot of breath work you can do. There's some mindfulness, not as much with folks on the spectrum as there is with the NT. Even with those on the spectrum, that interoception is missing that I don't even know how I feel, but I know it's not Good.
1: Right. They are aware there's something not right. It's harder to do body work. I was trained in accelerated resolution therapy, which is an offshoot of EMDR.
0: Oh, I was RRT, a rapid resolution therapy.
1: It's similar similar vein. Yeah. And I found that it's a little harder to do with folks who are neurodiverse that they struggle to have that interoceptive sense because of exactly what you're saying. There's not that connection to the body. So it's a little bit harder. But going along with what you're saying, I literally just was having this conversation with a client today. The way I do coaching is a little bit different. When I'm doing intensive coaching with clients, I meet with them on call, but I also have messaging interactions with them in between calls. And so I'm able to try to, to stay involved and intervene more in the moment in those in betweens. And I was emphasizing to him what you're talking about. They go back into their habits. And I was just saying, somebody, one of you has to break the cycle because they go right back into the same cycle of how they interact and it's the same thing and they end up rehashing stuff you know i said somebody whether it's you whether it's your partner somebody's got to take action even if it's a baby step right because if you don't that cycle will never stop well it will it will eventually stop the relationship may crash you can't survive especially the highly antagonistic relationships calls them the ones with the boxing gloves when they come in I was like you guys are in the boxing ring nasties
0: I call it the nasties some
1: part of that cycle's got to be broken and it's going to be uncomfortable it's going to be different the cycle feels normal because it's what they're doing over and over again it's normal but it doesn't feel good no it's
0: dysfunctional and one of us needs to throw up a white flag right now Mm -hmm. do something different look at something different in the room engage your senses I teach them Look at your five senses. What do you smell right now? What do you see right now? For pressure, even uh, though that doesn't work when they're in the heat of the moment. Not with each other. The irony is they say they feel the same things. You know, I'm walking on eggshells when I'm in their company. Mm-hmm. When we're in they the room see. together, all of a sudden eggshells. And it's like, but you guys clearly are able to, by example and skills, do this here. What's different? And it's like you said, going back into that pattern, being aware of it, and then Somebody has to do something different consistently, Mm -hmm. and then the data has to be registered for whoever's got the longer processing time to Mm -hmm. absorb and realize that this doesn't have to be this way and to keep at it. I think that's another one of the biggest issues that comes up is the rote rehearsal and skills enough. You know, I've tried it. It doesn't work. He's a master, you know? At this point i've been doing this five years and we're nowhere close to that but <laughs> there's still a lot of faux pas it's not pollyanna unicorns every day believe me
1: you got here after years reinforcing mm-hmm. the pattern so it's going to take time to create new patterns and you're going to backslide you're extinguishing a behavior i'm going back to behavioral stuff when you're extinguishing a behavior sometimes we regret mm-hmm. regression or something to a previous behavior that's going to happen. And tell folks that's normal. They'll come to me and they're like, oh, we are doing so well. All of a sudden, I'm like, okay, oh, it's all right. It was one time. It doesn't mean that everything's undone, that you're back to square one. They're so relieved. They're like, oh, reboot. There's
0: a lot of validation that has to be done. We say you're doing the work by A, showing up, and B is trying. I have to reframe what trying looks like because for NT, the way that their ideal is. And not to burst the bubble, but we go back to capacity and everything else. That's just not in their wheelhouse. That's just not how they're designed. And here's the example. My spouse is not a prolific poet, a writer in birthday cards, holiday cards, or anything like that. I know that it takes him half an hour to an hour to write a little paragraph or a little couple sentences in a birthday Mm -hmm. card expressing how much love mm-hmm. he has for me and how thankful he is for things I do. Mm-hmm. And there's grammatical errors. I have found that so endearing over the years. At first I was mm-hmm. like, okay, I'm crossing out on the card. Come on. I wouldn't want him to copy things off the internet or parrot other things, thinking that's what the spouse wants. No, this means I know you put so much effort into this card. We're good. This is it. This is what I do expect actually. And this is not just good enough. This is who you are. And I love and accept that.
1: I think that's so important. I'm glad you brought that up because it's the definition of trying. We have to remember that what one person's effort is and trying may be so different for them than it is for us. And it's really important to take pause. And it may be effortless for me to sit down and write a letter of how oh, much I love you. But just truly mind boggling for somebody else to write something like that to just even make the effort to go to the store to pick out a card read all the cards the energy and effort involved in that the fact that it's even done is huge we have to really look at our expectations where do our own expectations come from and why do we even define it the way we do
0: I think it's hard to even define it because once I start to break down with NT, what do you think you want it's more tumbleweed because they have an yeah. idea okay today if a magic wand were to floof over you what would that look like and it's blank stares on both ends because the yeah. change itself can really throw the relationship if you actually
1: got what you're asking for what would that look like what would that feel like because sometimes it's a concept it's a concept that someone wants. It's an idea. It's a concept. When we stop and think about it actually happening, then it starts to be like, oh, I'm not really sure.
0: Or a fantasy.
1: Right. Yeah. Concept fantasy. Yes, exactly. And that's where a lot of times when I ask people, where does that come from? I do the five levels of why a lot of times. Why is that? And then ask them again, why is that? And why is that? Mm-hmm. You get two or three levels in, and they're just kind of like, I
0: don't
1: know. Why? Some construct from childhood. Or somewhere or a movie or books. Are there other alternatives? I've got this rating scale too. I'm like, how important is that? How much is it impacting your life? I can't decide for you. So that's the work though. That's the work that has to be done. And it applies to all relationships, not just neurodiverse relationships. I
0: would do the same thing in regular couples counseling or normally work with individuals. And so couples was a whole nother multiple lessons. And I sometimes see clients alone, one-on-one. And I wind up sometimes even seeing family members, children, and that sort of thing. We haven't even brought up with all the stuff going on in the marriage, the stress and the of parenting and caregiving or being in a sandwich generation Mm and caring for an elderly Mm -hmm. parent. I wanted to say this today, but my spouse told me I could possibly be his special interest again when the kids move out to college or get out of the house that I be put on his priority list. It could be seen as insulting. And I know that what that transcribes or translates to is I can't wait to be with you again on a more one-to-one intimate level. Or at least I'd like to hope that, right? So I have to clarify that and I say, do you mean that you can't wait to be with me alone so we can do more stuff together and spend more time? And he says, yes. And I say, is that because between work and parenting that he frames as taking up all of his energy or brain power or there's not much left at the end of the day? Which I can agree to at one point, being a parent and person who works too, get it.
1: Being a provider and getting the kids raised, being a kid's raised is a huge undertaking. It's a huge task. As a neurotypical mom, I also know that you do a lot of the raising, not to minimize what he does, but I can see where also part of the priority for the two of you as a couple is getting that done. I know that for a lot of my neurodiverse guys, the jobs they're doing, work that they're doing is to provide that ability for the family to get the kids raised. I think it'll really be interesting because there's going to be
0: A metamorphosis you'll see hopefully change over time. We weren't the couple we were, obviously, when we were first married, nor do I want that ever again. That honeymoon thing ain't happening anymore. Thank goodness. Too much worse. But
1: But you can see the difference in what that means to you now versus what it would have meant to you. And then if you were to go to a therapist who doesn't know anything about, they're going to see this confusion and hoping that more therapists will start to learn more about this and be able to recognize and understand.
0: Therapists, folks who test, like iatrists I've run into, Mm but I love everyone in our field, don't get me wrong. I think we all do valuable work and we all have stuff to contribute, but the stereotypes are still too much of a dichotomy. They're still too categorized. And it's like, well, if he doesn't stim, then he must not be on the spectrum.
1: I agree with you. I support my profession, but the education's just not there. I've had people come to me who have been told they couldn't be on the spectrum if they have a college degree.
0: We didn't have much in grad school, so much to cover as it is. And there's only so much you can do in so little time. I'm happy to see slow movement. I wish there was more for females. I mean, I also feel like even as a clinician, I have a frame and I have some experience with couples, heterosexual couples, female, male, there's gender things, there's cultural things, there's everything else that is reality that's happening. I wish there was more, even in the individuals I counsel that are neurodiverse with more than just on the spectrum, there's comorbidities going on, there's OCD, there's ADHD melding in with that. I don't think until I learned from the AANE and moving forward. You can't unsee what you see now. However, right. I can see being as a therapist, being very judgy toward the NT, thinking it sounds very naggy and mm-hmm. very needy and victimy. And that the guy is just sitting there like a prince. Hello, I am here and I will tell it's, you what you need oh, here.
1: That is so how a neurodiverse couple presents so often. I know that was my experience when I was married. We went to multiple therapists over the course of our marriage and i know i seemed like such an emotional mess and my ex-husband just seemed so solid and grounded like you're saying grounded (laughs) i've never dealt with clinical depression in my life but i remember walking out of one therapy session with a new guy and he had told me i was depressed and needed to go on an antidepressant and i remember just looking at him like what and my ex-husband he was just like I don't know what he's talking about. You're not depressed. And I'm like, I know. It was so weird. We didn't go back to him. I don't know what he saw that day that he thought I was depressed. That's how it looks. A lot of your typical women, especially, are misdiagnosed with bipolar when it's really just a range of emotions.
0: Screaming for attention. It's like, hello, I've been here for... X number of years and see me, hear me, validate. Yeah, me. yeah. And <laughs>
1: it does look victimy in the beginning, and even when I'm working with couples, it takes a little time sometimes to weed out. Because I've also run across couples where, like we were saying before, there's a lot of layers to everything. I've worked with couples where I did run into a neurotypical partner who had a personality that who's happen. married to a neurodiverse husband who's actually being abused. They're interesting to have to tweak out all of that. As a coach, there's just a lot of combinations to everything.
0: The irony is, can anyone be more opposite sometimes? Uh, then we try to find that shared interest or that shared road in between. I assume both parties are in the same space because my husband and I are both astronomy sci-fi mm. nerds. So in my mind, when I see someone, it's like, okay, in the same universe, if they're not, the guys are already going to divorce her. or Something's going on before they even see me. Then are we in the same galaxy? Then are we in the same solar system? If I use all of us as planets, if I use the planet analogy of all our own planets, first of all, are we in the same orbit? And that to me is educating about neurodiversity. So once Mm -hmm. I can get them that point, which takes time sometimes, then I can get them to visit each other's planets. We're going to go visit each other's planets for the day. And it's by invitation only. That's the Mm. communication. It's by invitation only because you cannot let the other in without that vulnerability, humbleness, right? right? After that's been established, and that can take a long time because we go back and forth and the bridge is pulled from both planets to go across, right? After a long time, you see them both, and this is self-invitation to the other person's planet, particularly for the spouse on the spectrum to peek over and say, hello, anybody, when they can get there, or even little snippets of here and there, and I can say, ooh, you were unannounced, but you were at each other's planets, that's a day to say cheers and celebrate each other. That's
1: really good. Do you have that visually represented in your
0: office? I only do telehealth, and I know the more I use the visual, whether it's pictorially or I write down things It's easier for Mm -hmm. clients to just take it off their screens and they have the notes or they have the homework Mm -hmm. kind of thing. So, yeah, I have done that in the past. It resonates with a lot of
1: folks. I'm an analogy queen. I use analogies all the time and I try to use the whiteboard on Zoom sometimes and I'm a terrible Mm -hmm. artist. (laughs) That's a good one, though. I really like that one and I might still, I'll give you credit. That's super good. Well, is there anything else yeah. that you feel like you want to share with the listeners today? This has been a great conversation.
0: Just want to impart on everyone that the other giant part of what I do is to discuss until the cows come home and then some self-care. When the CNT starts learning that it's okay to power back that they've given away and a sense of micromanaging and prompting and things like that to take a step yeah. back. Self-care, whether it's something small every day or they plan actual physical breaks away from each get a little air so to speak there have been aha moments through both of them taking some self-care time for the folks on the spectrum it's not necessarily their hobby or special interest but even finding time to practice being in the present moment for them that is very useful and I'd say especially,
1: like you said, for the neurotypical spouse, the neurodiverse partner oftentimes is
0: already doing a lot of that.
1: And the neurotypical partner is fearful of taking that step back. Detachment is difficult or detachment is probably not the right word. The distance is harder for them. They're just constantly trying to engage. And the hamsters are going 24-7. And then also they're just like you said, there's so much on their plate that they're doing, 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 doing. To be able to step back from their partner, their spouse, and from the responsibilities even, that's just so important. We don't even realize that life will go on without us for 10 minutes or 15 minutes or for a couple of days. (laughs) My first cousin lives down in Naples, Florida. I'm here in Georgia. She's my age. And I went down to stay with her and visit her for a long weekend, like four days last week. It's hard for me as a business owner and raising my kids and my mother lives here with us and I'm in that sandwich generation you're talking about. And it's hard for me to step away. I did it and it felt like a knotted up muscle slowly starting to relax. <laughs> it and takes it was, a while sometimes. I know. I came back feeling like, OK, I've got resources now mentally. Yeah. Rebooted. There's a freedom Rebooted. in that.
0: There's a freedom to let that space go in your head when you're just constantly trying to predict the next move that he or she's going to make you know, we can go on to take that and say, well, it is what it is. I'm out of here. And really Mm -hmm. practice being out of there. Then my clients who come back who actually had a day or two look better, they sound, Mm -hmm. but I have to point out, excuse me, but did you notice that (laughs) you've got a smile on your face? And it's been a while since you've been able to joke around a little bit personally trying to practice what I preach (laughs) and so (laughs) being able to step away and take a walk or even walk the dog being able to verbalize to my neurodiverse family mom is taking a break unless the Mm -hmm. house is on fire do not come in here and that's how it has to be and I'll still sometimes get interrupted and I'm like it's not it's happening. So, the first thing to go in these situations is self care. You have to have that to keep the Titanic up. Yes, we don't want the ship to sink.
1: Thanks so much for reaching out and being on the podcast. It was great talking to you, and maybe we'll have my you pleasure. back again sometime. Love that. Sounds good. Yeah, we'll have to do it again for sure. Thank you so much to all of my guests of season three of the Your Diverse Relationship Podcast. These folks are bringing their lives to you to help all of you out there who are trying to figure out your own relationships. If you'd ever be interested in being on a podcast, just email us at get help at jodycarlton.com. Also be sure to visit me online at jodycarlton.com to see all the resources that I have available to you. Until next time.